Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Well, hey, I want to welcome you and uh, go ahead and you can take a seat now as the lights come on. Welcome you whether you're in this room at this moment or you're online watching us from wherever you are. Uh, we are happy that you're with us. It's not often that we, uh, we make a note or talk, uh, bring, bring uh, notice to a guest, but uh, this time I, I choose every once in a while to break that rule. I uh, want to overhear, uh, share a uh, family that is with us, the Hathcock family. Hathcocks, raise your hand so people can see you. Uh, Daryl and Kimberly and their girls. Uh, Daryl was my BSU director back in the day. Uh, he can tell you what a model student I was, and he uh, knew how, uh, you know, he, he, I would always get the, you know, I kept the rules perfectly award uh, within the BSU. Uh, Daryl and Kimberly served as your IMB missionaries for many years uh, in Eastern uh, Europe, and then uh, and then currently they are serving as director of mission uh, in uh, in in uh, Texas, so in the country of Texas. So uh, uh, want to make sure uh, if you haven't had a chance to meet Daryl and Kimberly and their girls, and that's most of us here. Take time to say hi to them uh, on your way out. Uh, even just wave to them if you know. Keep keep that. So that cultural social distance, if you want to. Uh, but uh, Daryl, Kimberly, it's great having you guys here. Girls, ladies, I don't know y'all because I knew you when you were this big, and Daryl still blames me for terrible pranks I've done yes. to your family. Yes. So he just needs to, in his words, build a bridge and get over it. Uh, <laughs> hey, so there's a movie. There's a movie that uh, on my, my feeds as I'm watching videos uh, on YouTube as I'm looking through social media. This, this movie pops up quite a bit. It's called What If? Uh, what If? It was made with the, Her- the actor of Hercules fame, Kevin Sorbo. Uh, and it's similar to a movie that came out in 2000 called The Family Man with Taya Le- Leone and Nicolas Cage. Uh, this is the Christian version of The Family Man, I would say. And if you're unaware of that movie or what What If is about, basically it's following the exploits of a man who outwardly is successfully, successful but inwardly is bankrupt. And this movie explores the fact that if this man who has everything that the world could offer, if he could go back in time and change one thing that would dramatically shift his life, would he do it? And what would his life look like? Uh, after he made a few different choices. Watch the screen with me as we look at uh, a little clip from What If. You're not Julius Caesar, okay? No, I'm not. You didn't think big enough. What if you had the perfect life? Mercedes-Benz SL65. Are you marrying me? Of course, Penny Bear. What if God... Came today some kind of missionary letter? Wendy. Who is she? Old girlfriend. We almost got married. You still talk to her? and make a point of never going back. Had other plans. What's going on? No, 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 no. Get me, it's a brand new car. Who are you? I'm an angel sent here to help you straighten out your life. Uh, okay. Close your eyes, count backwards from 100. Uh, no. Fine, all right, well, have it your way. <laughs> Mommy, Daddy's crawling on the floor. Oh, Dad, Dad, no, I, I, I'm not anybody's dad. 
a divine intervention. What is this? What's Wendy doing here? Why does everyone act like they know me? Gives him a second chance. Reverend, I'm ready for you now. Reverend, Reverend. You know, I um, try to make more money so you can buy things and then you'll be happy. It's called the great what if. What if? See, every now and then he chooses someone to re-examine their life. Daddy paid the most popular guy in Clearville $80 to stay away from me. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And it's all because of you. I, I can't be the Ben that they think I am. I'm not your husband and I'm not their father. I knew I was adopted. When you walked away, you broke two hearts, Wendy's and his. Now he's given you another chance. Thank you for letting me make things right. Even though I don't deserve it all, I want to be yours from now on. Kevin Sorbo, Christy Swanson, John Ratzenberger, and Debbie Ryan. Thanks, Daddy. You're welcome. From producer Jerry Jenkins, author of the Left Behind series. I spent years thinking that I was happy, but I didn't know what happy meant. What if? You know, you're pretty tough for an angel. Where do you rank? Could they send me someone important? The fact that I'm sitting here babysitting you should tell you where I rank. I was not paid. The church was not in, paid in any way to endorse that movie. But, but we just, as we were uh, beginning to talk about this theme today, uh, that came to my mind. The what if game. The what if game is what this movie's about. We play the what if game often. We all do it. And most of the time, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty innocuous, isn't it? Most of the time, it's fairly harmless. Uh, there are some people that play the what-if game, and then they make decisions that destroy their life and make terrible choices. Uh, but occasionally, the what-if game also will reveal to us that there are holes in our lives. The fact of the matter is, is all of us in this room all of us streaming online that are listening, hearing, viewing this conversation, this talk, we are all broken people, aren't we? We all uh, are desperately in need of a Savior. We all, uh, we all have incredible gaps in our lives and flaws, and most of us desperately try to hide those things, don't we? And we do everything we can to mask ourselves. We do everything we can to put things in our lives, to place our life in such a way that when we gather around, whether it be church or whether it's at our work or at our schools, that we try to show everyone that we have everything together, right? Inwardly, you feel like you're, you're spinning 15 plates on sticks, trying just to keep up. And, and, and the truth is that Often many of those plates are falling down and, and you just inside you feel like you're failing when those plates fall and you don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. That is a sign for you that you are broken. You are broken. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician, this is a guy that he made the first digital calculator. Uh, he said something. He was also not just a mathematician, but he was also a bit of a theologian and a philosopher. And he, he said something and, and wrote something down that to this day people talk about. Here's the quote. I, I, put it on the, uh, I put it on the screen because, honestly, it's a bit heady. And if I just read it myself, you would 
you would lose, we would all lose our place in it. But Blaze wrote, he said, there once was in man a true happiness of which now remained to him only the mark and empty trace. Right? That's 17th century French philosopher speak for saying there's brokenness in every person's life. There's a hole in your life. He continues on, he says, he, this man in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, but these are all inadequate. The infinite abyss, the hole in your life, Blaise Pascal describes as an infinite abyss, can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. Now that quote uh, got shortened down, uh, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago uh, through theologians and people trying to help, under, help people understand the, the concept of salvation and the idea of what, what is salvation within the New Testament church. And you've probably heard it said and you've probably heard described maybe in, in, a, in, a, maybe in, in even the presentation that you sat and heard about Christ the first time that when you came to Christ, if you're a Christian, and that is that many, many people in America today will say, you know, you have a God-shaped vacuum. You have a God-sized hole in your life. You have a God-sized vacuum in your life that only can be filled by God himself. And those, those people who use that metaphor, those people who use this thinking from Blaise Pascal will continue to usually go on and say, look, you try to fill that hole with whatever, with money, with power, with influence, with family family, with joy, with vacations, whatever it is. You try to fill that hole with those things and it will never be quite filled. Well, know that that person who was sharing that with you was not the one who invented this thought. It came from Blaise Pascal. What is he trying to teach us? He is trying to say that every person has a hole. Now, in America, as I already said, uh, you know, we've, we've basically pointed to folks that are far from God, people that are not Christ followers. And we look at them and we say, you have, you have a God-sized hole in your heart and it can only be filled with Jesus. But the reality is this, the reality I'm finding in 25 plus years of ministry is it's not just non-Christians who have a God-sized hole in their heart. Every person, every person has a God-sized hole in, your heart, in their heart. And the only difference is Christians at one point in their life turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe you can fill that hole. Will you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you change me? And in a moment, God comes in and let me tell you, he does fill it. But you know, one of the things I've learned in my 25 years of ministry is, and I want to be crystal clear on this. I can, I am convinced there is no way you can lose your salvation. There is no way that God comes into your life and then chooses to walk out of your life. There is no way that God, that you can be stronger than God and you can somehow pry yourself from God's arms, pry yourself from God's love and lose your salvation or walk away from your salvation. I'm convinced of that, but I'm also convinced that every day I have to choose what's going to fill that God-sized vacuum in my heart. And so what often happens, Christians, is you at one moment say, God, it's you that can fill that vacuum. But after a few weeks, after a few months, after a few years, all of a sudden you kind of forget those discoveries that you've learned. And instead, you start choosing to fill that hole in your life with things or family or vacations or money or whatever. 
things that are good and things that are noble, things that maybe are ignoble and not good and destructive, whatever it is, many of us as Christians, we choose to fill the holes in our life with things that uh, other than God. And yet we know, we know with our mind, we know with our speech, we will say this back and forth to one another. We will recognize that, yes, only God can fill that, that hole in my life. Only God can, can fill the gap in my wall. If we use the metaphor that we've been using lately, right? Only God can, can fill those places in my life and, and meet those areas of brokenness. But we choose to, we choose to be the guy like Kevin Sorbo's character, and find ourselves in a predicament where we are desperately looking to fill our life with things that will not bring true joy and true satisfaction and true peace into our lives. And so today what I want to do is is turn to Luke chapter 19, and as we look at a guy who's in this very predicament, and we're going to just go through this scripture, this story of this encounter that Jesus had with this man, Uh, and we're going to do it fairly quickly. to make the most of our time. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, the scripture proclaims, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jericho is an important city at this point. It's approximately 17 miles outside of Jerusalem. What does that mean? That means that people that are traveling into Jerusalem to worship or to do business, uh, Jericho is the perfect stop to come and spend the night and then, in, and then one more day, you can make 17 miles. You can travel 17 miles to get to Jerusalem. So Jericho's a, a fairly important city. It's just outside of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, a little historical fact so that I feel good about my, my degree that I spent so hard on getting. Uh, did you know that Antony, Antony actually gave Jericho to Cleopatra as a gift of love? He, he handed her a city. Uh, boy, guys, that sets the bar high, doesn't it? I mean, you know, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing for your loved one there? Do you give her a city in Palestine? You know, there you go, ladies. So ask, uh, could, you, could, you do, could you do an Antony for me? Of course, I guess it didn't work out so well for either of them in the long run. So maybe you just step aside from that uh, as well. Continuing on, verse two, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief collector, chief tax collector, and was wealthy. So one of the things we know is, is there were three tax centers in Palestine and in Judea in this day. In this age, there were only three major tax centers. Jericho was the home of one of the three tax centers. And we are, meet a man who was not just a tax collector. He did not just work for the Roman IRS, but he was a chief tax collector. So he was presumably probably the leader of the tax center in Jericho. This man was very wealthy. He was very powerful. And we also understand, if we, if we look at the, the, the culture of Israel, we also understand that Zacchaeus was very hated. He was looked at as a man who walked away from his country in order to enrich himself. He left his family and his friends and his religion even to follow Rome and become wealthy as a result of that. The scripture continues with this interaction as we've introduced this man named Zacchaeus. Uh, Verse 3 goes on. He says, he, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, those songs we know, he was a wee little man, right? Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
So we get this picture of this wealthy, powerful tax collector. He hears an itinerant preacher who some claim to be the Messiah is coming through town and Zacchaeus wants to see him. I ask a simple question as a student of the scriptures. Why? Why does Zacchaeus want to see Jesus? Is he curious? Like you or I, you know, I drive through I drive through Branson, Missouri, and I see this picture of this Gothic magician named Reza. Reza. And if you want to know his real name, you can go ask Dana because they were in math class together. Matter of fact, Dana says Reza cheated on her several times. Uh, cheated, you know, she'd look over her shoulder at math class to get the grades, to get the answers. Uh, Reza went to school with Dana. Well, I find myself sometimes when I see Reza, he was on, he was on America's Got Talent with an interesting... Uh, an interesting act with crossbows, I find myself curious. I'm curious, right? My curiosity was not such that would actually lead me to go to the box office and buy a ticket. But it was different for Zacchaeus. He, was, he, did, he did more than just have a curiosity, I would argue, because we continue on and we see in verse 4, I reread verse 4 to you, what does he do? He, want, he hears that Jesus is coming, he, he runs, runs ahead of the crowd, and he climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus. I would argue that there was more than curiosity at play here. I would argue that perhaps Zacchaeus had an abyss in his life, an abyss that Blaise Pascal talks about. He has a deep longing, and he has a sense that maybe Jesus, perhaps Jesus, could answer what the abyss is. And so what does he do? He runs which again, in this day, wealthy men, powerful men don't run. You think about our day, powerful men don't run. Could you imagine like Dick Cheney running? You ever, you know, think about whatever politician. Could you imagine Donald Trump or Joe Biden, either one of them running? Just think of that. And you just find yourself just shaking your head kind of in disbelief at that concept. Why? Because powerful men don't run, right? Here we see a powerful man running. And then he's, what is he doing? He's Climbing a sycamore tree. He's climbing a tree. If powerful men don't run, I promise you, they don't climb trees. For you'd be proud of me, folks, because I'm growing. I'm growing here. I had initially planned to show you the old video uh, of Michael Jackson climbing a tree just to, for some comic relief there, and to say, do normal people climb trees? And after you watch the video, sorry, Tyler, you go, no, normal people don't climb trees. But I was like, you know, that would take away from the scripture, and I don't want to do that. So I just share that with you rather than actually expose the video to you as well. Because normal people don't climb trees, folks. And I would also add this. He was a hated man. More than likely, Zacchaeus, when he walked through the streets, the, the, the very narrow streets, the streets that were very dangerous in Palestine, he probably did so with two things a hood over his head to protect his identity. And if he was truly as powerful as I think he did, or was, he had a squad of private security around him as well. Why? Because there were men called zealots. Zealots were famous for having daggers in their cloaks. And when they would see a Roman soldier or when they would see a Jew who, who ascribed ascribe to the Roman world, they would take their dagger out, sneak up behind them, and stick them in a kidney. To kill him. And so 
by going up on this tree, what was he doing? He was getting away from his guard, and he was also being exposed to all of the culture. I would argue that Zacchaeus was doing this not because he was curious about an individual or curious about a magician or a wonder worker, but because he had a deep abyss in his life and he was willing to do whatever he could. He showed incredible intensity. He risked his humiliation and even put his life at risk in the crowd. And so what do we see? The scripture continues and says, when Jesus reached, in verse 5, Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner? Isn't it interesting here? Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus... Or was it that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus? And is that the way life is for us today? We think we're looking for Jesus, but the reality is Jesus was looking the horizon long before you had any insight about him. Isn't that the beauty of Jesus? C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, unless he wanted you, you would not be wanting him. So know that right now. Know that if if you have this desire in your heart where you're saying, you know, perhaps Jesus could make a difference in me. Perhaps, perhaps God could make a difference in my family. Don't allow the enemy to say to you, oh, that'll never happen. God could never love you. Jesus could never do a work in your life. Those are lies because the reality is if you're having those thoughts in your life, God has put those thoughts in your life. He has put those thoughts in your mind. Why? Because, because you would not be wanting him unless he wanted you. Continuing on, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, uh, I've heard this before, and some people get frustrated because, you know, the Scriptures, it, oftentimes when we engage and we look in life, it, we don't get to see everything, every aspect that happens. It's not a panoramic view in which we understand every detail. Matter of fact, one Bible teacher once likened it saying that scripture is like coming up to a construction site and looking through a construction fence that has a knot hole and you're looking through that and you see a portion. You see the portion that God wants to reveal, but there's still much of life that's mystery here. And we see that in this story because because we don't have a conversation. We don't have a dialogue text of the truths and the love that Jesus poured out in Zacchaeus' life. All we have in Scripture and Holy Writ is that Jesus took notice of this guy in a tree who is a powerful, powerful man, but had a deep abyss in his life. And he says, come down, Zacchaeus. I want to stay at your home. And we see that Jesus said, okay, gladly, Lord. And then all of a sudden we fast forward, I don't know, minutes, perhaps hours, after a conversation and a connection between these two individuals are occurring, something happened in this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus to make Zacchaeus say, Lord, the things that I valued the most, my money, my power, my personal righteousness, I now give to you. 
I, did, I give it to you. So what happened in this time? And I can tell you, I, I don't know. I don't know what words Jesus said. I don't know what truth he gave to Zacchaeus. All I know is that Zacchaeus was changed by the love and the grace of Jesus. And so that's good enough for me. What are we talking about here today? We're talking about life change, friends. We're talking about the answer to the problems that we find in our lives is having an encounter with Jesus. And when that encounter with Jesus occurs, our lives change. They change. Do we become perfect people? No, of course not. And I'm not saying, I'm not claiming that. Do we have all the answers? No, of course not. Do we still not get rattled by difficulties and perplexities and problems in our lives? No. Do our kids no longer get sick and have health issues? No. Do we still deal with death and still deal with disease like every other person? Absolutely. We still deal with the same things that we deal with, but now we just have a different perspective. Why? Because we're talking about life change that Jesus makes happen. To those who are far from God, I say this unapologetically with all the love and all the concern that I could possibly muster uh, talking about you, whether you're in this room right now or you're online watching us, I say, if you're far from Christ, Jesus saves. Jesus can make an eternal difference in your life. If you do not have any hope for tomorrow, Jesus can give that hope to you. If you don't know what is on the other side of the grave, Jesus tells us, hey, I've gone there. I've gone there and I've come back and I'll go with you through that. If you're dealing with perplexities and problems in this life and you just don't know where to turn, to the lost I will tell you, Jesus will make all the difference in the world and all you have to do is call upon him and declare that he is your savior and your lord and ask him to come into your life and take ownership of your life and he will do that to those of you who are close who who would say hey tony i'm one of those people i'm i'm a christ follower i would say to this to you too you need jesus just as much today as you did that very first day that you called upon him and maybe your love has grown cold. Maybe, maybe your, your discipleship has grown a bit stale. Maybe you've been doing this enough that it's kind of become rote. It's just the norm. It's what you do in life. But I would say that your desperate need for Jesus is just as, as, as important today as it was the very first day that you knew you were a sinner and you needed the saving grace of Christ in your life. You need Jesus' ongoing presence. Do you find that you are dissatisfied, unsteady, uneasy, unhappy, unfulfilled? Are you bombarded with pain and problems and pestilence? Perhaps that is an alarm for your life. Perhaps that is an alarm to signal that you desperately need some life change. What do you do? What do you do here? Well, let's just go back. I, I try to make the complex simple and I try to just make it makes sense for myself. And I go back to Luke 19, verse 3 and 4. It says that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming his way. What do we do? What do we do? How, how do we help? How do we get in a, in a point where 
Jesus can fill that abyss in our lives. Here is my deep theological perspective, my formula. You realize pastors, back, back in the 1700s and 1800s, pastors were called doctors of the soul because it was understood that, that, that your soul could get sick like your physical body could get sick. And who do you go to to, to figure out uh, how to heal that? You go to a pastor, right? Uh, so here's my prescription for you, okay? Based on this passage that we just read, figure out where Jesus is and hang with him for a while. There's my prescription for you. You find that you have an abyss in your life. You have a brokenness in your life that you don't think anyone can fix, that nothing can remedy. I challenge you to figure out where Jesus is and just be with him for a while. Where is Jesus in this world? Well, one of the places, Jesus is right here. Jesus is in his word. And I, I, find, it, I find it so interesting that people who are running the farthest from the God, they view, they, could, they will treat this book, they will treat the words on this book like a vampire treats garlic. And they will be repelled by it. Why? Because, because it's the enemy working in their lives to say, stay away from it. Stay away. You know, if, you, if you're going to keep the vampire metaphor, they respond like this. <laughs> right? There you go. They, 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 they will do everything they can to push away from Scripture. Why is that? Because that's where Jesus is. And if you start hanging around Jesus for a long time, things change. So, so just start getting into his word. If you want to hang with Jesus, make, maybe many of us have made commitments to open up the day with studying Scripture. And if, if you're there, you know what I challenge you is go a little bit deeper, right? Perhaps you, you've been faithful to reading one or two verses a day and just kind of pontificating, pondering that for a few minutes. If you find that you've mastered that, maybe you take it to the next step and say, could I maybe read a chapter and spend a little bit more time, go a little deeper in His Word? For many of us, the truth is this. The truth is we, we start strong on a commitment to open God's word on a regular basis, but then life just has a way of drowning that out. And then truth be told, most of us, once, twice a month, we're opening up God's word. And I would challenge you daily, daily, get into his word. Get into you version and find a plan and start digging into God's word because Jesus is in his word. And if you want him to change you, then you need to spend time with him. I find that Jesus is also around me in the presence of many of my friends who are Christ followers. And so that's one of the reasons why, for me, it's so important to just put myself in the lives of other people. And we do that here in, Spring, in, in Springfield, Missouri, at, at Northbridge Church. We do that through the ministry, through the tool of small groups, where I know that on a regular basis, I'm going to get around other Christ followers, and I'm going to allow them to speak into my life. I'm going to allow them to see, to share with me what they see in me. I'm going to open myself up and share with those people my concerns, my frustrations, and allow them to minister to me what is happening there. The Jesus in them is working on me and is working with the Jesus in me. So it's, it's so important for us to just spend time, just figure out, figure out where Jesus is and hang with him. I would challenge you today that perhaps you're saying, Tony, you're speaking to me right now. 
I would invite you to just this week, pray this prayer. It's a simple prayer. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Help me to want you. Help me to find you. And I don't mean to simplify it, but the reality is so much of our faith is simple, friends. And if I find myself having a hunger, having a desire to meet King Jesus, to know King Jesus, you know what? God, God is good and he's gracious and he will allow himself to be found, to be found. So perhaps today, even, you would start this day out by saying, Jesus, I need you. Help me to want you. Help me to find you today. Help me to find you this week. Help me to find you in this season of life that we are doing right now. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you, and as a church, Jesus, we say we need you. Lord, help us to want you deeply. Help us, Jesus, as we go through life to find you, King. We call upon you. We ask you to do a work in our lives. Lord, right now, I pray for the people in our congregation, whether they're in this room or they're online watching and viewing and participating through our stream. God, hear the prayers of our people as we come before you and confess the holes that are in our lives. The abyss, as Blaise Pascal describes it, that is within us. Lord, no doubt there are people that have never surrendered to you. In this moment, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in their lives where they would say in this very moment, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and save me. I pray that that prayer would be shared, would be said by those who are far from you. But Lord, the many Christians that are here today also, I pray, God, help us to take a sober look at our lives and to see the areas where maybe we've just let down our guard. We've no longer worked to, to put you into those holes in our life, but instead we're, we're putting family, we're putting money. We're, Lord, I'm leading with positive things because that's what I believe so many of our people are doing, but the reality is some of us are making terrible mistakes. And we're putting drugs, or we're putting sex, or we're putting unhealthy relationships with other people. Uh, we're putting uh, pride into those areas. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us. And call us back to our first love. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.